Welcome back to the Apostles Mailbox, where today as we jump back into the book of John, we're going to see something quite wonderful. I must confess, I did not pick that word see uh, haphazardly. It was very much on purpose, uh, because what we're going to discover today as we, uh, as we finish off, actually, the first chapter of the Gospel of John is we're going to encounter uh, this idea that the ministry of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God, that the things in which we discuss and we believe and we know to be true about God and about his son, Jesus Christ, uh, these things can be and ought to be seen. They ought to be experienced. They're not just theoretical. And we're going to see how that uh, John sort of starts to cue us into those things uh, very quickly here. Um, but today I'm asking you, I guess, uh, what do you see in your own relationship with Jesus Christ, in your own Christian faith? What do you see as evidence of what's going on uh, in the heavenly realms? So I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but we're going to read uh, we're going to read John one starting in verse thirty five. I'm in the English Standard Version as usual, and we're going to read that together, and then we'll just dive right in. So uh, John writes uh, the next day again. So this is uh, we've been we've been dealing with John the Baptist and what's going on with him. The next day again, John the Baptist that is was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." In other words, and John saying, "Hey, look, there he is. Look, see that." And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now the next day, uh, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, that is, look, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
So if you didn't catch it, I highlighted a bunch of those uh, references to the word C. I, I missed at least one of them um, because I, I wanted you to notice just how much it repeated in this passage is this idea of seeing. I know we've been sort of digging through some nitty-gritty of uh, sort of uh, abstract ideas about the the original Greek manuscripts and comparing them and translation issues and all kinds of theoretical philosophical things. Uh, but today we're going to back up a little bit more and I just want to encourage you to remember that when we study God's Word, when or actually when we read anything, if you ever notice something that's repeated again and again and again and again and again, it's usually pretty important. I mean, when you were a kid, if your mom kept harping on you about doing something uh, multiple times, eventually, hopefully, you would get it in your head that it was important. If it wasn't all that important, it would have been stated once and then left. And so, for John, uh, the idea that we would see, that we would know, that we would understand, that we would comprehend these things um, is very, very important. Uh, in fact, in his in his first letter in in First John, he writes uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and have touched with our hands concerning the word of the life, life, etc., etc. Uh, John uh, is very concerned that to to pass along the things that they have seen. He is a witness. He is testifying to something that he has experienced. And he wants to make sure the reality of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, is not lost. Because by the time John writes this gospel, um, Jesus has left the earth. He has ascended back into heaven. And John knows nobody else is going to be able to physically, tangibly um, meet Jesus in person. And so he wants to pass along uh, the, the account of his and others' experiences with Jesus. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about implications for that today because, of course, as I just said, you cannot physically, I shouldn't say that, most people will not visibly see Jesus Christ during their lifetime, um, though we will all, of course, see him someday face to face. Uh, but what John wants us to know in the passage that we're looking at today is that there is a lot of seeing going on. And the first seeing that happens is that John the Baptist, who is recognized, right, we saw in the last, uh, we, we, we talked, I think, last week, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, about how when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and remained upon him. And that was, that was John witnessing the visible uh, testimony that God had told him would indicate who the Messiah was. And so John saw this happen, and, and then John says, uh, he testifies, he says, I saw the Spirit descend and remain on Jesus, and that's the one that God told me uh, was the Messiah. And he passes this information on to his uh, into his followers. And today when we pick up in verse 35, uh, John is out with a couple of his disciples and he looks and he sees Jesus and he just says, look, there's the guy, there's the Lamb of God. And you'll notice this is a quite fascinating response is that the two disciples in verse 37, they just hear him say this and then they just leave John. They just 
follow after Jesus, uh, which seems like a strange thing to do, right? You've been learning from this guy. He's your friend. He's your teacher. And as soon as he says there's the, the Lamb of God, they just like, they just bail. Uh, and that's what I, of course, I think that's what John the Baptist intended. Uh, but nonetheless, they, they just take after him. And uh, Jesus turns, right? He turns around and he sees them. We're told he sees them following after them. And so he asks, what are you, see what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they call him rabbi, uh, which you, you would take as an indicator that they want to learn from him. Rabbi means teacher. Actually, rabbi means my teacher. And so uh, they're, they're calling him their, their teacher. And they ask him, which is strange, uh, where are you staying? Or it's at least strange to us because we don't typically go and follow after uh, somebody and then learn from them and, and live with them. Um, but this, this type of arrangement was not inconceivable uh, in those days. A rabbi would take disciples, right, who would follow after him and, and uh, they, would, they would basically be his uh, servants and, uh, and, and they would support him and, and he would teach them everything he knew. And so uh, the rabbi then uh, says to them, come and you will see. So Jesus invites them to come after him, but he doesn't explain where he's staying. He's just saying, along the way, come with me and then you will see. So as the disciples then, as these two so far unnamed disciples follow after Jesus, eventually they come to the place where he is and they just stay with him that day. It's the 10th hour, the English Standard Version tells us, which assuming that the, day, the hours of the day were counted starting at sunrise at about 6 a.m., that would make this uh, about 4 in the afternoon. And so it's the 10th hour, so it's getting kind of late in the afternoon, and so they stay with him that day. Now, John tells us that one of those two who heard this message about, about Jesus was Andrew. Uh, of course, he's the disciple with the best name. Uh, <laughs> but uh, ironically enough, although there I do share the name of a disciple, uh, I have never uh, very closely identified with myself with him, perhaps because Andrew is largely forgotten in the gospel accounts. Uh, not that he wasn't, of course, honored to be one of the twelve. Uh, but as you will notice, although we haven't met Simon Peter yet, John tells us that uh, that one of those disciples was Andrew, and he was Simon Peter's brother. So it's not just me. It's not just us who don't know much about Andrew. It, apparently in those days, uh, Simon Peter was far better known. He was one of the pillars of the church. Uh, he was uh, his confession of Christ, or perhaps even him, depending on how you uh, translate a passage, which we'll get to later. Um, uh, the the foundation of the church. Uh, Simon Peter is famous, and Simon Peter came uh, because Andrew finds him and says, "We found the Messiah." Now, John explains to us what the word Messiah means. The word Messiah means. Christ, he tells us. Now, Christ would be the Greek version of that word Messiah, and the idea of the Messiah was it was an anointed one chosen by God to be uh, to serve some special role over Israel. In this particular time, there was a lot of expectation among the Jews that a that the anointed Messiah would come and deliver Israel and would reign over them, and so. Uh, so Andrew, this is this is big words when Andrew says 
to uh, Simon Peter, we have found the guy, the guy everybody's looking for, the Messiah, the anointed one. Now, it might sometimes be hard for us to disconnect ideas that we have in our head of what this word Christ means or Messiah means, um, but the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It was a title. It meant he was one chosen by God and anointed, uh, that, that God put something upon him to set him apart for a certain purpose. Okay, this idea is going to come back further during our, our study of this gospel, so don't just forget this, but you need to understand the, the Messiah is one who is chosen, he's one who has something put upon him, um, and that's what Andrew recognizes him as. Now, as he brings him to Jesus, Jesus makes this fairly big statement. Uh, he, he looks at Simon and he says this, he says what? Jesus looked at him, so Jesus sees Simon, and he says, You're Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And we say Cephas, which means Peter, and you're like, well, what does that mean? And what your footnote, if you have a footnote in your Bible, may say, may point out, is that Cephas, or Kepha, and Peter are both words that mean rock. So, Jesus just meets Peter, and he already gives him a name. He says, you're the rock. Uh, and this is a, this is a fairly, um, it's, it's a fairly advanced type thing to be saying, wouldn't it, right? Like you just, you just randomly meet this guy, and all of a sudden he gives you a nickname, and he's going to tell you what you're going to be, who you are, right? So we grow up thinking about Peter or Simon Peter. We don't, we don't realize that, uh, Simon Peter's name was Simon. It wasn't Peter. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to, we're going to call you Kepha. We're going to call you Peter. We're going to call you the rock. Okay. So here's Jesus doling out nicknames, right? And uh, there might be something to be said about this in Revelation. There's a reference um, that that says that God someday is going to give us a white rock with a name on it known only to us and to him. In other words, God who knows us more perfectly than anybody else at the depths of who we are, he will define us and he will he will know us in a way that nobody else knows us, just us and him. I actually met uh, some people who had this theory, right, that uh, that God has a nickname for everybody. And I think it fits perhaps with Cephas and with this prophecy of the white stone uh, in Revelation. So we're not going to hunt that down because that not, that's not exactly where we're going. We're going to see, however, the same thing happening, right? So the people who are following after Jesus, they're coming to see something of him. But Jesus, when he sees people, he already knows them, right? So Jesus sees Peter, and supernaturally, God gives him insight as to who Peter is, and he gives him the name Peter, right? He calls him the rock. And so when Jesus sees Jesus knows, and when they see, they don't know anything, they're learning. And Jesus is saying, as you come with me, you will find me. Find these things. Okay, so John 1, uh, 43, as we get back into our text, uh, Jesus goes off to Galilee, and he finds Philip, and he says, Philip, he says, follow me. So, so Philip then is just this um, supposedly random guy, but he's from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, so he likely knows them. And, uh, and then Philip finds Nathaniel, uh, and uh, who's and, 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 Nathan and he says to Nathaniel, 
we found the guy that Moses in the Law and the Prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the son of Joseph. So this is even, I would say in some ways, almost even bigger than saying uh, we have found the Messiah. So now we're told that Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's anointed one. But now we're told, uh, Philip is telling Nathaniel, that this is the guy that was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, the one who would be like Moses, who would speak God's very words. All right, I'm not going to pull this reference all in and lay it out because we already spent a lot of time with this, and I, I believe it was our first episode, might have been the second episode, uh, back in the beginning when we looked at is John, it had to be the first episode, <laughs> is is Moses in John 1.1. So if you didn't watch that episode, you'll have to go back, you have to watch John the John 1.1 episode. There's already a reference that Jesus is the greater Moses, and John is going to put it in here, and he's going to force us to see it again in case we haven't caught it yet. Jesus is the one promised by Moses, the one like him, the one toward God, the one who intercedes uh, for us to God. Uh, and and so um, that's who Philip tells Nathaniel it is. And, and this is a huge claim, of course. And so Nathaniel's like, wait, Nazareth, that little podunk town? Like, can anything good come out of uh, Nazareth? And what does Philip respond? He says this. He says, come and see so you notice Philip doesn't say like, well, you're just going to have to take my word for it. And, and honestly, like, I don't know how Philip knows this is the guy that Moses was talking about. Uh, evidently, some something must have happened, some conversation between Philip and Jesus, or, you know, maybe John the Baptist had said something about it. We don't know. We don't have it recorded how Philip came to this incredible conclusion that this is the one that Moses prophesied. Uh, would come and the prophets. Uh, but we do know that Philip says, if you come with me, Nathaniel, you're going to see it. So as Nathaniel then comes to Jesus, Jesus sees him coming and he says, look, <laughs> look, here we go again, right? Behold, look, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So it's like, here's a man of great integrity. And you say, well, uh, what is that? That's kind of a vague statement, uh, unless you are perhaps one of those people with great integrity. Uh, you will know that for certain, well, perhaps you don't know this, uh, for certain people, this idea of integrity is way bigger than them, right? And so the Bible talks about uh, one who keeps his word even when it hurts, one who would, who would rather hurt themselves than go back on their words. Somebody in whom there is no deceit. Someone who goes out of their way in order to be above board, to not deceive or mislead anyone. And that is evidently how Nathaniel looks at integrity. Now, you know a lot of other people, perhaps, who will say, eh, it's no big deal, yeah, that's kind of what I meant, and, you know, always... You, you can't really trust anything they say. If they say they're going to do something, then, you know, maybe there's a decent chance they'll do it and maybe not. That's not Nathaniel. With Nathaniel, his word is his bond. And so when Jesus looks at him, he says, hey, Nathaniel, what's important to you is there is no deceit in you. You do not mislead anyone. What you say is true. And Philip says, how do you know me? Like, so Jesus evidently has put his finger directly on 
who Philip is. And then (laughs) this gets me right. So Jesus' answer is, is just sort of strange. He says, well, before Philip called you, like, I saw you under the fig tree. Right? So, I don't know, apparently Nathaniel's sitting under a fig tree when Philip comes up to him, and Jesus says, well, I saw you under uh, the fig tree. He said, well, how does that work? I think God just told him. I think God gave him a vision of this. Uh, I remember hearing a, a friend of mine said that one day he was, uh, when he was much younger, he was traveling with a with some other believers in this van, and the driver of the van turns around and he says, hey guys, just want to let you know, they were kind of on a tight schedule, he says, just want to let you know we're going to go over this hill and you're going to, we're going to see a guy in a blue scarf and I'm going to pick him up and we got to take him wherever he, he needs to go. And uh, and he's <laughs> so my friend's like, what? They drive over the hill and sure enough, there's a guy walking on the side of the road with a blue scarf or whatever it was, and, and he pulls over and he says, get in. So... <laughs> So, so my friend then just watches him lead this person to Christ and, uh, and as they're driving down the road. And then he says, okay, where do I need to take you? And the guy's like, well, I was leaving my wife and kids. I was running away from my home. I was turning my back on them. I suppose you better take me back home. Um, so they turned around and they went back the other direction and, and brought this guy home. And Now, how did the guy know that there was going to be the guy in the blue scarf? God just told him. Uh, it's just a gift the the spirit does this and and uh and in Jesus evidently had something like this happening uh with Nathaniel and so Jesus is just like hey you were under the fig tree when I saw you and and Philip's response is remar or Nathaniel's response is remarkable he says teacher rabbi right you are the son of god you are the king of israel all right, well, that escalated quickly, right? We went from Messiah, uh, and then and we talked about the guy that Moses and all the prophets were talking about, and now we've got Nathaniel saying, you're the son of God, the king of Israel, right? And, and we hear that, and I just want to caution you, like, we hear the phrase son of God, and we immediately think Trinity. Uh, Nathaniel was not thinking the Trinity, right? (laughs) The Son of God was one especially loved and chosen by God who had this uh, unique relationship with him. Uh, Often, um, the the, the Israelite kings would be considered as the Son of God. And so, he says, you're the Son of God, you are the King of Israel, right? He puts these two things together. So, Nathaniel is not making a, a... He's not thinking like, oh, here's the Trinity, right? That's not what he's thinking, but he is saying, you are indeed the Son of God. Like, God himself had to have given you this knowledge because you are not capable of doing it on your own, and therefore you must have a unique, special, close relationship with him. You are the King of Israel. And of course, we know, we know, because we read earlier in, uh, in John 1, that we've already been told uh, that the the one of a kind, the the unique Son of God who is in the Father's breast, who is who is at the in this closest level of relationship with the Father, He has made the Father known. Right. So there's more layers, of course, of just affirmation of what's going on here. But we've already seen like all of these titles of who Jesus is. He is he is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. He is the Christ. Uh, he is. 
he is the one that Moses foretold, the, the prophet like him, the one who uh, would speak God's very words to his people. Um, he is the son of God. He is the king of Israel. And then I wanted to stop here and I wanted to point out something else that John tells us through his gospel that probably Philip and Nathaniel and, and, and Andrew and Peter uh, might have gotten, maybe not. Uh, they weren't highly educated people. Uh, but here's what he says, and, and you might be familiar with this and you might not, but he says, uh, <clears throat> because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe, you're going to see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So there's two other things going on here. Jesus has just called himself the Son of Man, which is a reference to Daniel 7, probably. I don't know if we talked about that one yet, um, but it is a reference. Uh, it is a very strong uh, messianic reference in the Old Testament. And so Jesus claims that title for himself. Uh, and then he also, he says, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And, and you go like, well, what on earth uh, is that all about? And the answer for that is found in, Ge in Genesis chapter 28. So I want to read that with you, okay? So uh, Jacob uh, is is off gallivanting around, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Okay, so have this picture in your mind. There's a ladder or a stairway, and it's set up, and it's on the earth, and the top of it reaches to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord, and it's in all caps to indicate that this is the name Yahweh, right? Or Jehovah, you might have heard it's translated in the old King James, right? Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. So, Jacob has this dream of something on earth that reaches to heaven, and Yahweh, God, the Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and now to become his God, is up there, and, and he reveals himself uh, in this way uh, to Jacob. And Jesus now has said, he's talking to some Jewish people uh, who may have, were probably, hopefully familiar uh, with this, story from their synagogue days, from their, from their uh, not really Sunday school, but hopefully they would have been taught this. They should have been familiar with it, and many Jews would have. Jesus said, you're going to see heaven opened, and you're going to see angels ascending and descending, just like in that dream, and they're ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what he's saying is he's saying, I am that ladder. I am Jacob's ladder. I am the thing that is set on earth that reaches to heaven. Does this sound familiar? Uh, Jesus in John 14, 6 is going to put it this way. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying, I am the one who is going to make the way to approach the Father. I am the way to get, if you will, into heaven, into the presence of God. And there's also perhaps another thing going on here. Okay, and so in Genesis 28, a little bit farther, Jacob awakes from this dream and he says, Surely the Lord, that is Yahweh, is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so it might be, it might be that Jesus is saying, of course, I am the gate of heaven. I am the way to the Father. Um, but he might say that you can recognize that God is present here in me, right? And so uh, the Lord is in this place was this idea that came with that ladder. God has now made a way for people to enter into his presence. So you have all of these things, right? We think, well, this is just a story of how uh, how Jesus got his first disciples, right? And and if you're if you're reading your other gospels, you'll realize that there's this story of the calling of of Andrew and Peter that that isn't exactly these details. Uh, it's very different actually. And you might think like, well, how did Jesus get those guys to follow him? Um, they're, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, like both of these things couldn't have happened. Uh, but I, I do also think, like, if you get distracted by this idea of, like, well, what was the order of events? And, you know, what about the day when they were out in the boat and Jesus went out in the boat and, and told them to follow me and, and then they left everything? Like, so what was it? Like, you'll miss what John is portraying here. Like, you can see all the wrong things, but Jesus says, come with me and see, right? What are you going to see? You're going to see Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. You're going to see that Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. You're going to see that he is the one that Moses promised, the one who speaks God's word. You're going to see that he is the way uh, from earth to heaven. He is the way into God's presence, right? You're going to see that Jesus is the Son of Man who was presented before the Ancient of Days in the book of Daniel, you're going to see all of these things if you don't get sort of like head faked by uh, the wrong details. And, and so these very first encounters when Jesus is starting to reveal himself to people, he's saying, come with me and see. And I want you to, to, to hear that phrase repeated and emphasized, come and see. Because my friends, the Christian life is not about theory believe this, and then someday in heaven it will all make sense. No, the, the, the promise of Scripture is that when Christ came, God, God made his dwelling with men. So Jesus says, when I go back to heaven, when all of this is done, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and God's very presence will be with you right? I have opened the door. I'm the way, right? I'm the ladder. You're going to see heaven open up. I'm the ladder. And, and, and then you're going to have access to God, and his spirit is going to be sent, and the spirit is going to indwell you. And that's the Christian faith. The Christian faith isn't just like, get my sins paid for so I can go to heaven someday when I die. It's bigger than that. 
And so the Apostle Paul is going to write, he's going to say, my, when he, he's telling these Corinthians about, he's reminding him when he proclaimed the gospel, he said, my speech and my message weren't in plausible words of wisdom. Right? He said, I didn't want to argue you into this, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is saying, like, this is not a theory to be argued this is a reality to be experienced. And we started there with 1 John, right? John says, that which we have seen. And this is the invitation that you would see and that you would know God and that his, his presence would be visible and apparent in your life. Not that you would just, you know, chase after one spiritual experience after another, but that you would be able to say that when Jesus came in, when I entered the kingdom, when, when I was united to Christ, something changed and things happened. And so uh, earlier this week, we talked about prayer and how often we don't pray because we don't think things are going to happen. I think uh, much of the of the sort of more word-focused strains of modern Christianity that really delight in the written word of God, they forget, sometimes we forget, that, that the call to follow Christ is to come and see, to come and see that this is real. It's not just something to be argued and to be held in your head sort of theoretically that can never be, you know, proved or disproven and someday will come in handy when we die. Like the invitation is, is through Christ to come to the presence of the Father. And, I, and again, I want to, to emphasize this to you. John, in John chapter 1, he says, though the one-of-a-kind Son, this unique Son, he has made the Father known to us. And here Jesus says, you're going to see heaven open, and I'm the ladder. And what's the point of the ladder is to get to the end of the ladder to the one who is there. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the one who brings you to the Father. In John 14, right? We, yeah, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the point is not just to come to Jesus, if you will, uh, but that in coming to Jesus, then you gain adoption as a son or as a daughter of God, that you gain access to the Father, to the Ancient of Days, to the Eternal Almighty One, and that He puts His Spirit in you. You know, if, you're, uh, if you've ever heard the story of how the Vineyard Church started, uh, John Wimber became a believer, and he started reading his Bible, and he read all of these things about uh, Jesus telling his disciples, okay, now you're going to do these same things. <laughs> he actually used that term. He says, you're going to greater things than these you will do because I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to send the Spirit, and I will answer your prayers. And, and, uh, and, and, and so John Wimber said to the guy who's teaching him how to be a Christian, he said, okay, so when do we get to do the stuff? And the guy said, well, what do you mean the stuff? And he says, y you know, like the healings and the casting out of demons, the stuff, the stuff that Jesus told us was going to happen. And the guy said, oh, you know, John, you don't understand that we don't get to do that stuff. Uh, someday when you get to heaven, of course, you'll be with God, but all that stuff that ended and doesn't happen anymore, we don't get to do the stuff. And, and John Wimber is like, well, this is crap. <laughs> if, if you don't get to do the stuff, then it's all a lie. Then I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm going to do this stuff. 
And, uh, and so the vineyard movement sort of grew out of this expectation that if Jesus said we're going to do this stuff, he meant we're going to do this stuff. And so those who would come and they would see, they would see that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what he said he did and that the Spirit indwells his people and that God still moves and works. And so my question to you is if, if Jesus comes to you today, and he does, and he says, Come, follow me. Come and see. Have you come and do you see? Or have you sort of bought this lie that the church has told you, like, well, you come, but you won't see anything. You might become a nicer person, whatever, but there's not much seeing to be done. All of the seeing is yet to come when Jesus returns and we enter heaven. I don't think that's faithful to who Jesus is and to what he promised his disciples. And, and, and frankly, I think I, not being uh, totally immersed in, in charismatic Pentecostal circles, I think I uh, sadly expect far too little um, on far too many occasions. And of course, if you're in more of a charismatic or Pentecostal place, uh, fellowship of believers, you probably expect a whole lot more. And quite frankly, because you expect more and you ask more, uh, then you see more. And so my challenge to you is Jesus says, come and see. So get on your knees this week and ask God to reveal not just that he is like some sort of cosmic Santa Claus that gives you anything you want, name it and claim it, not that, but to come to Jesus and to say, Jesus, would you show me your kingdom? Would you show me what you're doing? Would you let me see and participate in this? Would you teach me how to pray? Would you show me how uh, to, to bring in the harvest of your kingdom? Uh, would you let me see? I've come and I want to see greater things than these. All right. So there's uh, John 1, 35 through 51. I hope, I pray that as you pursue Jesus Christ and as he leads you to the Father and as the Father sends his Spirit to indwell you, that your life would be full of seeing proof that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God. We'll see you here again soon. Mm -hmm.